0: Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tau Foundation. What's it like to be able to smell cancer, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's?
2: or diabetes. She did have the signs. It wasn't that it was just the smell. But I caught the smell first and then I saw the signs. When
1: a nurse noticed a change in her husband's scent, it sent her down this extraordinary path of discovery that she could smell multiple diseases and conditions. Meet Joy Milne and hear from two women who see the dark and light side of having extremely sensitive noses.
0: What it has taught me to do is to be a little more mindful about how I approach people when I speak up, all the while feeling, you know, extremely nauseous. So that kind of impairs your judgment.
3: Sometimes I'll dream of loved ones who have passed away and I can smell them in my dreams just the same way that I would have smelled them when they were, you know, alive beside
1: me. I'm Kion wolf that's coming up next on Audacious, right after the news. from Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. At some point in your life, you probably had this conversation with someone. Which of all of your senses would you not wanna lose? And then COVID hits and the answers to that one got a lot more interesting because some people started losing their sense of smell. Well, what if you considered the opposite? What if your sense of smell was off the charts? My first thought is, oh, God, the terrible smells would be more terrible. The trash can, the dog poop, the Axe body spray. But would the intoxicating smells be more intoxicating, like the smell of your favorite food cooking or a bonfire, the smell of your spouse's neck? Or what if you could smell a medical condition? Later in the show, you'll meet Joy Milne. After her husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's, she became a game changer in the medical world, all by sniffing some t-shirts. But first, I want you to meet Heather Reem and her enduring AF East Tennessee accent and, well, how sincere of a person she is. Here's a self-serving clip from when we first connected for our interview.
3: I listened to your Pat Smith show. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you, so wonderful, so wonderful. And at the end, like, it gets me emotional because I'm a highly sensitive person, right? But at the end, when you played Irish Eyes you're Smiling, oh gosh, just happy tears, Coyote. I was just, it was so wonderful.
1: Did you catch that? That she thought the show was wonderful? I mean, she said she's a highly sensitive person. We found Heather through an article she wrote titled, When You're Sensitive to Smells you really do get smangry, which is a result of being a highly sensitive person, or HSP. And I don't mean that like cruel middle school girls mean that when they're feeling judgy about a classmate who has every right to feel her big feelings. Being a highly sensitive person is a scientific designation coined in the 90s by the psychologist, Dr. Elaine Aron. Actually, Heather can explain it.
3: So in a nutshell... An HSP's nervous system, it processes stimuli more deeply. So we experience sights, you know, in this case, smells, emotions, tactile sensations, all very, you know, more deeply than a non-HSP. A couple of examples are the fact that we have more mirror neurons in our brain, and apparently that corresponds with more empathetic feeling. So HSPs tend to be aware of subtle clues in our environment We're creative, we're conscientious, we're justice seekers, we want fairness for everyone, we're highly empathetic, um, and of course, we're often moved by art and music and literature. All of those traits, of course, have immense benefits, but because we do experience things so deeply, we can easily get overwhelmed, like when I get smangry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, describe a typical day for you when it comes to your sense of smell. You wake up,
3: and then... So my typical day has changed in, you know, since the pandemic. So now I'm working from home. So I guess in, in, there's a silver lining for HSPs when you work at home. You don't have to be as inundated by everyday things. But you know, here's an example of, of a recent trip to Dollywood. So first of all, I live in, in East Tennessee. My husband and I, yes, I know. I can tell you love Dolly. (laughs) Me too. Oh,
1: What monster doesn't love Dolly Parton? I don't want them listening to this show. I don't want them hearing your voice. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Go on.
3: Yeah. She's our angel. She is our family. She's everything to us in East Tennessee. Um, So my husband, Ben, and I went to Dollywood. And that's a great safe activity. You're outdoors. You mask where you need to, that kind of thing. But even wearing a mask. An, an HSP and somebody who gets angry is so inundated by the smells. Let's say you're walking down the main road there in Dollywood. It's called Show Street. Here are all the things that I'm processing at the same time. You've got the little locomotive train that you can take a ride on, and I'm smelling the soot. And at the same time, I'm smelling maybe the cedar planks from the buildings that you know are. That are that are built there and then here comes a lady walking next to me and she smells like coconut lime perfume and then here's someone who smells like sunscreen and then here's a little boy who smells like dried sweat and here's a person who has a musty basement and I can smell that and oh there's a service dog and oh gosh I really want to pet him but I can't because he's working but oh gosh that doggy needs a bath and then hey this person smells like dryer sheets and oh gosh that smells good maybe I should uh you know, pick out those dryer sheets. So (laughs) it's overwhelming. Has there
1: been a time where you have felt like assaulted, like the smell was going to kill you?
3: Maybe not that it was going to kill me, but does it make me feel like I want to throw tables over and like, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes um, for me, one of those really big triggers is cigarette smoke. And I think that it's, it's kind of like a double whammy because, again, living in East Tennessee, we have a lot of people who still smoke here. And so it's pretty difficult to go into the grocery store and not have to, you know, dodge somebody who's, who's smoking. But it's kind of a double whammy. There's something about the smell of any smoke to me that's really uncomfortable but then you've got this idea, well, that's secondhand smoke. So I'm actually breathing in something that is dangerous to me and to dangerous to other people. Of course, it's dangerous to the person who's smoking. And so that's kind of one of those things where you can be 50 feet away from somebody and then the wind will blow it over just a little bit. And you're thinking, well, this isn't a rational feeling. I, you know, I shouldn't be this angry, but oh, my. And, and I should say, too, um, being smangry is a lighthearted term. I know I just talked about, <laughs> you know, throwing over tables and everything. Um, but I don't want anybody to think that I would, if they jogged past me in the park, and I was overwhelmed by the way that they smelled that I would, you know, start whipping acorns at them because I was, <laughs> mad at them. people obviously can't help, you know, smelling the way that they are and situation, you can't help a situation, you can't, I mean, everybody is grossed out by a gas station bathroom, right? It's just extra hard for me.
1: All right. So how about some tips? Because you, you know you're not the only one with this condition and you've spent your entire life thinking about it. So tips for, for making life a little more bearable uh, and advice for anyone who has a really sensitive sense of smell.
3: Well, first of all, I want to say you're not alone. And I want to give you a big socially distanced and gentle hug. <laughs>
1: Scent free hug. Yeah,
3: absolutely. A scent free hug. I won't, you know, I won't wear any, you know, fragrance or anything like that. Um, Again, there's only so much you can do to control it. So much, so much of it is your own attitude, right? Um, But of course, wearing your mask, going to do your errands first thing in the morning or late at night, depending on what's best for you. I live in a college town. So late at night is actually, you know, there are tons of kids as I call them, tons of kids out. (laughs) But of course, the fewer people that are around, the less pungent they're gonna be, right? When I clean, of course, I wear a mask. I try to use unscented products. Uh sometimes wearing gloves is helpful if you're worried that you'll have something on your hands that you'll be smelling all day. Um Ugh. of course, if you've already been, I call it skunk. If you've already been skunked, if you've already walked next to somebody who maybe, and you'll appreciate this because you have a cat coyote, kind of, but you know how sometimes people. <laughs> Will have I hate to say this, but really stinky litter boxes in their homes. Like
1: you can smell it.
3: Yes, yes, but not not everyone who has a kitty cat has that problem.
1: Just like me. Right.
3: I'm sure. Oh gosh.
1: For the record.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know you were above board on everything. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> you could smell it from East Tennessee. You would be able. Anyway. <laughs>
3: So if you've already been skunked, let's say you've already smelled something really terrible, Um, you can use saline spray to kind of, you know, clean out everything and give yourself kind of a little restart. Um, I carry a bottle of saline spray both in my purse and at my home. And, you know, all I can say is I'm glad I've been married for 10 years because that's not something that you could just do in front of everybody. You have to feel comfortable (laughs) in front of that person. One trick that I used to use before I had a mask on all all the time was called the emergency handkerchief. This works for everyone. Everyone can carry a handkerchief, but you can just kind of gently press it against your face discreetly. If maybe you come in contact with someone who's a little stinkier. I like to joke though, that when I would do that, I would have this image of myself as like, this grieving, beautiful ingenue out of a 1940s war movie who just waved goodbye to her lover on a train. You're like, oh, goodbye, we will always have Paris. You know, I probably just look like I have a nosebleed, but it's still, <laughs> <laughs> it's still something you can do to just dampen down what you smell. And again, I said this before, it's about your attitude. Just try not to take it personally. I, I, I totally understand what you mean. Um, what what somebody means when they say they're overwhelmed by, by smells, just know you're not alone.
1: Are there any upsides to this?
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So just the experience of being an HSP, it can be so achingly beautiful as much as it can be overwhelmingly frustrating sometimes, but especially with smells, even the most simple smells, one note smells, orange, vanilla, the smell of baking bread. I mean, that is almost
1: you just mentioned three of my most favorite smells really? and add onions.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, onions. Yes, girl. Those are delicious. Bring it. Um, yes. Talk about onions for a second. When the, the caramelization starts to happen. Oh, that is so good. Wait, so
1: can you tell like the progress of a caramelized onion, like you can smell when it's fresh in there and when it's been in there for 8 hours?
3: Well, I don't know if I could say that it's been there for a certain amount of time, but oh gosh, yeah, as as it starts to warm up and everything and as the the magic starts to happen in the in the pot. Oh, gosh, yeah.
1: And it is magic, yeah.
3: It is <laughs> absolutely.
1: So it's great because you can sense and appreciate these things, but I do wonder if you could flip a switch and make the world completely scent free. Would you want that?
3: Oh, gosh, no, no. Because there are things I can do to mitigate it. But there's nothing we can do to regain it. Right. And when I think about people who, you know, unfortunately, have have suffered through COVID. And like, maybe they've lost their sense of smell, right? It's, it's taking a long time to come back. That's got to be depressing, especially if you really love to eat food, or you're a foodie or any kind of gourmand that's got to be tough or like the smell of your loved one. Oh gosh absolutely and one of the things i don't i don't know how if this happens with you or if this is just a, a something that happens with me but one of the greatest gifts that i have with the my sense of smell sometimes not very often but sometimes i'll dream of of loved ones who have passed away and i can smell them in my dreams just the same way that I would have smelled them when they were, you know, alive beside me. And that is like a time machine. And it's like, what a blessing, you know, what a wonderful little gift. I think that's probably my favorite part.
1: Now, if only you could find out what Dolly Parton smells like.
3: Oh, let me tell you like rainbows and unicorns probably and angels and I don't know, beauty love in fairness yes all those things justice oh absolutely and probably i don't know in a good way she probably smells like a ton of makeup and to me that's a really nice smell like i, I love that <laughs> foundation and lipstick and everything she's the best <laughs>
1: You know, I'm going to have to use a Dolly Parton song going out of our segment.
3: Please. So,
1: if there's a song that Dolly has that has anything to do with smelling or sense, I'll, I'll snoop around too. But if you know, like just ponder it.
3: One of my absolute favorite songs is um, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional because it's so sweet. <laughs> um, okay. Is my Tennessee Mountain Home. And the second verse is. Honeysuckle vine clings to the fence along the lane. Their fragrance makes the summer wind so sweet. And on a distant hilltop, an eagle spreads its wings. And a songbird on a fence post sings a melody. And if that doesn't encapsulate the beauty of uh, the way an HSP looks at the world, I don't know what does.
2: Honeysuckle vine
0: clings to the fence along the lane Their fragrance makes the summer wind so sweet And on a distant hilltop an eagle spreads its wings And a songbird on a fence post sings a melody
1: Heather Reem, thank you so much for talking with me.
3: Kayon, you are a gem. And let me tell you, you have got a special gift. You just, you, you draw such special things out of people. And that is, wow, that is a beautiful thing. And I appreciate the opportunity.
1: We'll have links to Heather's website and to her article, When You're Sensitive to Smells, You Really Do Get some angry on our website, ctpublic.org slash audacious. When we get back.
0: Early on in, in this super smeller uh, chapter of my life, I would have just blurted out, are you kidding me? You can't spray more perfume on the plane. Put that away. Now I'm a lot more polite.
2: My nose went up and I thought, just stand still. Smell again. Right, okay, can I'm
1: Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, we're meeting people who have extremely powerful senses of smell. A little bit later, you'll hear the story of Joy Milne, who discovered later in her life that she could smell certain diseases and conditions, even the degree of severity, and in some cases, treatment. But right now, I want you to meet Wendy Helfenbaum. She's a television producer, translator, journalist, and a writer who has an exceptionally sensitive sense of smell. And she endured a firestormer responses to her Women's Day article, the smell of your perfume is making me gag. Now, I've got to give you a little spoiler here. I recorded this conversation over a month ago, and since then, every time I think about putting on perfume before going out, even just one spray, I don't anymore. So be forewarned, you may start saving money on perfume after this interview. Wendy started noticing her sense of smell increase back in 2004. She was pregnant with her son, and she figured it was just, you know, a pregnancy hormonal thing.
0: I was no longer able to walk down the grocery aisle where they keep the soaps and detergent, laundry detergent, because it would just make me want to hurl.
1: The birth of her son came and went, but her heightened sense of smell stayed tried and true. So what other smells are we talking about here?
0: I cannot be around certain smells that have any flowery notes or really strong smells like Purex, Gain, those kinds of detergents, Febreze. Uh, My son plays hockey and a lot of his teammates uh, spray Febreze in their bags. And I would rather smell this stinky hockey gear in my car than that Febreze.
1: Is Axe body spray uh,
0: part of the list? Oh, uh, Axe is definitely up there. I mean, you don't even have to be
1: a super smeller to be averse to Axe, but yeah. But
0: it's it's more that I can smell people and now even through my mask, for God's sakes, if I'm outside walking and I can smell your detergent from across the street, there's a problem. Like I find generally there was a campaign uh, with Febreze where they were talking about what you smell versus what other people smell. And they talk about how you go nose blind The bad smells in your home. But that's really true with all scented products. I find people I know that wear perfume have gone nose blind to what it smells like and they just keep putting on more and more and more. And I find as women get older and men get older, their sense of smell is supposed to diminish a bit, apparently. And so they put on even more. So I'm finding as I'm getting older and my peers, my friends, my neighbors around me are getting older, it's just getting worse. It's like we cannot have enough quote unquote, freshness in our lives. When I see commercials like, you know, Downy Unstoppable, like we can make your laundry smell fresh for eight weeks. That is my personal nightmare. Somebody <gasps> adding unstoppable to my laundry. Is- <laughs> Please make it stop. Like that. I, I live in fear, you know. And then of course, airplanes were another secret terror of mine, not because I'm afraid to fly, but because I'm afraid of who's going to sit next to me and how they're going to smell, you know, because I'm, which sounds crazy. It's not a, this is a first world problem. Let's be clear. But it is debilitating in the sense that I get physically ill from these smells.
1: So what do you do when you're on an airplane and someone sits next to you? And like, I, I, could, I could offer up any example of what they could possibly be smelling like, everything from cigarettes to fabric softener to their musky basement.
0: What do you do? Well, th- there's two things. First, I, I always look for an exit plan. Like, I mean, I usually tell the flight attendant when I get on, listen, I don't know who's going to sit beside me, but if it's somebody who has a strong scent, I'm allergic and I will need to move or you will need to move them. And that has happened. I, for some reason, some people have the really nasty habit on a plane of spraying on more perfume before we land to freshen up, which is another horrific habit. I mean, I'd rather people- So do you like, do you tell them? I, I do. If I, somebody near me, I see them pulling out a bottle, I will stop them. I will say, please, we're in a super enclosed space. Can you wait till we deplane for the love of God? <laughs> because it's just, I can already smell you. If you put on more, I, you know, I'm going to die.
1: Now, you'd written this article, uh, the smell of your perfume is making me gag. And you tweeted, if I can smell you before I see you, we're going to have a problem. And you said you got some interesting feedback. What did you hear from
0: people? So (laughs) I live in Canada. We're not quite as divided as our lovely neighbors to the south. I found that this issue really divided people. Um, There were the cohorts of, oh, my God, I feel seen thank you for bringing this up. I hate perfume. I hate air fresheners in taxis, yada, yada, yada. And then there were the violently opposed people on the other end who were like, it is my right and my choice and my freedom to wear as much perfume as I like. And you should just stay home because there's something wrong with you. Uh,
1: (laughs) It was very American.
0: Yeah, it was either one of those two camps, either people were very sympathetic. And I had given sort of voice to a problem that a lot of people had But the people that were real diehard perfumers, some of them were actually surprised to realize that their scent could be offensive. Like it's just not something they think about um, because they just think they smell wonderful. They don't realize that it could make somebody else feel quite ill. Is
1: wearing perfume an expression? Like is it And and I know that I may be asking the wrong person, but when we talk about like that, you know, I have a right to express myself any way I want and use this perfume and it's, regardless of what it does to you, I wonder, you know, is it an expression? Like, what is it? Why do we do that? Maybe that's another episode, but why do we do that?
0: Uh, No, that's a really good point. And I agree with you that it is as much of an expression of who you are as your clothing, the way you do your hair, what kind of jewelry you wear, what kind of car you drive, whatever. My issue is not so much with perfume per se, it's more of a quantity issue. Um, There are people who wear multiple layers of, of of a scent, so they'll have a perfume shower gel followed by a moisturizing lotion in that scent topped off with the perfume. And I find that we're living in a society where it's just more, we need more freshness, more scent, more scent. It's really hard to find unscented laundry detergent. It's way more expensive than the regular ones, I find. I make my husband and my son wear unscented deodorant. There's literally one brand, one brand. Every other brand is Mountain Fresh or Alpine Pure. (laughs) Powder Fresh. (laughs) So, and the, you know, deodorant smells are very, very pungent and they're reactogenic. The more that you sweat, the more they kick in, I guess, to mask you know, body odor or whatever, but it's like, when did we become so obsessed with the intensity of this smell? I go back to the unstoppable. Bunch of people sat around a table and said, what can we name this new fabric booster? Let's call it unstoppable. Do we need unstoppable scent? Like that's my issue. Why do we need scent that is so overpowering? Subtle perfume is not an issue for me but I shouldn't be able to smell you from six feet away. That's the thing.
1: You were saying earlier that there are some people who react really strongly to your strong reaction to scent, and they feel sort of like they should be able to do whatever they want. And I'd like to hear what you think that says about them.
0: Well, look, if somebody came over to me and said, um, You know, would you mind going to stand a little bit further away from me in line at the bank? Because I seem to be allergic to your hairspray or your perfume. I would feel as a citizen, oh, my God, I don't I don't want to cause somebody discomfort. Of course, I'm going to do that. But there are other people who any minor infringement of their perception of freedom uh, becomes a huge global issue that is instantly, you know, like an armor. I can do what I want. I don't have to wear a helmet. I don't have to get vaccinated. I'm not going to wear my seatbelt. Um, I don't care if you get nauseous and throw up in the line at the bank. That's not my problem. Um, It's me, 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 and it's all about me. And I think that that's, you're always going to find people on either side of that. The ones that are courteous and genuinely empathetic towards their fellow human cohorts and the ones that never will be. And perfume is just one other thing uh, to be divided over.
1: So how about some advice for people who go through this world like you do?
0: Please don't be shy to speak up. Don't suffer in silence. Um, Speak up, tell people. If you get in a taxi and it reeks, open the window, mention to the cab driver, you know, you have four air fresheners and pine on top of Hawaiian luau is just not a good look. Um, It's really powerful. Can you, can you put it in your glove box for the ride to the airport? I mean, you know, I think it's important to speak up. I do. I think people need to be aware that, you know, you're uncomfortable and many of them will try to accommodate you. And many will not. But, you know, if you don't say anything, then you're just going to get more and more aggravated and you're going to make your life much smaller because you're going to avoid situations where you might be next to somebody, you know, who is going to make you feel sick and you don't want to live life like that. So. You have to speak up or stay home.
1: Do you think that this has made you someone who's more capable of speaking up for herself? Because, you know, before you got pregnant, you know, you had some sensitivity, but then you kept that pregnant sens- uh, sensitivity after. And so, like before, were you a little bit more um, shy about speaking up? <laughs> and do you think it's made you speak up more for yourself? Like it's changed who you are on that on that level?
0: Well, I have never been shy. I (laughs) would say that. I've never been shy. What this has made me, what it has taught me to do is to be a little more mindful about how I approach people when I speak up. Whereas early on in in this super smeller uh, chapter of my life, I would have just blurted out, are you kidding me? You can't spray more perfume on the plane. Put that away. Now I'm a lot more polite (laughs) and uh, respectful than I was. So if anything, it's, it's almost the other way. It's made me sort of be okay, how can I get through to this person nicely so that they'll do what I want them to do as opposed to react against me on the defensive. So that's how it's changed me. I don't blurt anymore. I think first, how am I gonna say this? How am I gonna get out of this situation? All the while feeling you know, extremely nauseous. So that kind of impairs your judgment. So I've, I've learned to sort of take a beat and then approach people more respectfully.
1: Wendy Helfenbaum, thank you for talking
0: to me. It was my pleasure thank you for having me
2: when we get back level one is the person and I have to hunt for the molecules level four is disgusting level four is harsh I can't find the person
1: how a husband's illness led to one woman's discovery that she could smell Parkinson's and other conditions I'm kyone Wolf this is audacious be right back This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. We've been talking with people who have extraordinarily powerful senses of smell on this episode. And to start off the final segment of this show, I want to give props to the podcast Invisibilia. In a freakishly timed episode, when the pandemic was just getting started in the US in March of 2020, they aired an interview with Joy Milne. That was before we even recognized that loss of smell was a key symptom of COVID. Now, This detail is incredible and almost unbelievable. Joy can smell cancer and Alzheimer's. She can smell diabetes, tuberculosis, and Parkinson's. Co-host of Invisibilia, Elise Spiegel, spent some time with Joy, who is a retired nurse living in Perth, Scotland. And besides getting to enjoy her sweet, sweet Scottish accent in person, Elise was also confronted with the Tension of what it felt like to be around someone who could smell those things and who would not tell you if she smells those things. I love that episode, and we're going to post it on our website. And it's why when I connected with Joy to talk about her abilities, I felt like I was talking to this superhero. I mean, like, seemingly superhuman abilities. I was really excited. But the gravity of the conversation brought me back to earth what joy went through to realize that she had this particular ability is the result of a tremendous amount of pain and sadness joy and her husband les met in high school and in addition to his wicked sense of humor and quick wit she also really loved the way that he smelled
2: yes he was an international swimmer he didn't use deodorant. He just didn't need to because he was in and out of showers all day. And sort of. And so he had a pure body smell.
1: It's funny when I think about the, the smell of the loved one, it's just intoxicating when it's just right.
2: Yeah. yeah. But it was so strange when it changed because it was so different.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so after you, you, you married, uh, you became a nurse, he became a doctor. And then when Les was in his early 30s, he came home one day smelling different. What, what did he smell like?
2: I had smelt, uh, before that, I'd smelt something. And I thought he wasn't, because as an anaesthetist, he was in a closed environment. So, and then they didn't have the new style uh, air change. In theatre, So I thought it was something to do with the long list that he was doing. Um, and then one day I just said to him, you're not showering enough and you're breath smelling as well. How do he react to that? He wasn't pleased.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think I would be either.
2: He said, look, I, am, I have a shower before I leave work. I said, well, when, you, when you're here in the evening, your smell just gets worse and worse. So it was very strange. In bed at night, it was there, and I thought, this is really and it was a matter of a few weeks, just maybe three or four weeks, this change, which overtook them
1: and you grew up with a powerful sense of smell which runs in the family, yeah
2: Yes, my grandmother had it, and it was really quite um obvious to her that i had it she nurtured it and i wasn't aware of that really i mean children don't go and ask other children well can you smell that or why can't you smell that that doesn't that isn't you know, how the world works is it it was strange to know that sometimes i would look at other children and think well why don't they smell that but i never questioned it it wasn't until i was nursing that my grandmother said to me be very careful What you say about people's smell.
1: Why was it when you were nursing that that came up?
2: Well, I've come home one day and I said to her, oh, you know, so and so was uh, diabetes was going off and I caught it very quickly. And she said to me, how did you do that? And I said, well, you know, smells ketones. And uh, she said, be very careful when you. I said, oh, I just said to them, I thought she was going off. And, you know, she did have the signs. It wasn't that, you know, it was just the smell. But I caught the smell first, and then I saw the signs. So it was a worry to her that I would say something to somebody. And she was always mindful that I had to be careful. But I began to realise that I just had a better sense of smell. I didn't think anything about it, because I presumed other people could smell what was in the wards. I mean, we were in long nightingale wards, you know, We get 15 beds up either side, and in the winter there would be four down the middle. There was no separation, there was just these flimsy curtains that went round. So I presumed everybody else did. We didn't have disposable bedpans, we had to take them into the sluice, empty them. So my experience of how I acquired what is I know now is my medical olfactory library was really raw. And whether in modern nursing, I would acquire the same medical olfactory library. I don't think so. People didn't wear all the perfumes. The people didn't have all the showers that they do these days. So my experience was true, if you would like to say.
1: Now, as Les aged, not only did his smell change but his personality changed
2: what changed he became more tired he wasn't able to do as much um he became a little bit touchy with the children and you know that they've changed but you don't know why and you're looking at it from your point of view that this isn't the person you married as it gets worse and worse and you think well what has changed and you because we had three boys um we we're very busy with the boys he wasn't as patient with the boys i just found him different you worried that
1: maybe this is a brain tumor <laughs> you know like there's got to be a reason for this it's so explicit yes. so you take him in to get checked out and then he gets diagnosed with Parkinson's at age 45. Yes. And um, a couple of years later, uh, you, you decide maybe a support group would be useful. And so you bring him to this support group and you walk into this room full of people who have Parkinson's. And what happened?
2: We sat down and we got introduced to a few people and it was very nice. They were very friendly. And put my nose, I, I call it this my nose goes up, I kept on taking deeper breaths, and then I would take shallower breaths. And I thought, what's happening here? So at the break, after the speaker, we went into the kitchen. Now, this was the carers and the partners of these people. And I thought, the smell isn't here, because it could have been the room. And then I thought, no, it's less a smell. It was his initial smell before he had any treatment. And I went back again into the room. So when I got him home, I said, you better sit down. He said, what's wrong? I said, come on, we'll have a cup of tea. And I was sitting across a nice dining room table from him. And I said, those people who had Parkinson's in that room smell the same as you. Silence. He said, what are you talking about? I said, they have the same smell as you. He said, oh, you've stopped speaking about this smell for years. I said, I know, but it's there. Those people have it as well. So being the doctor, he stopped me. He said, no, we have to go back. You have to do it again. So it's a month between meetings. He's all sort of... You yeah, know, well, excited about going, and that's the worst thing that can happen in Parkinson's because you they tire very easily. And we get into the room, and there is a thing with Parkinson's that they love chocolate, it gives them that boost because of the lack of dopamine. They love chocolate. You ask anybody with Parkinson's, they can devour um, the amount of chocolate is amazing that they can devour anyway. I went to Marks and Spencer's and I got a full tin of chocolate biscuits. And I walked around the room at the tea break, giving out the chocolate biscuits with my nose. And I started going round that room smelling individuals with Parkinson's. And I realized then that there were different levels of the smell. So we come out and we're out in the car park. And he says, well, I said, it even has different levels of smell. And he said, well, we've got to find somebody. And there were three Parkinson's meetings coming up, um, one in the north, another one in Edinburgh. And then we had been looking around and there was this stem cell lecture at the Medical Research Centre in Edinburgh. And this was Dr. Tilo Kunath.
1: So you you meet Tilo Kunath and you you go to this event and you say, you know, this is what I experienced. There's an odor associated with it. And at first he blows you off, right? Like, no, 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 no. But then he is having a conversation with a fellow researcher and they're talking about how certain dogs can smell certain dogs can smell certain cancers. And that made him think of you. And so he got, he found you again and he he got in touch with you and asked you to smell t-shirts.
2: Yes. It was Quite fascinating. The two chaps who were doing their PhDs and him had gone running. They had the T-shirts on and come back and, oh, you know, Tilo. It was a, the second time I'd met Tilo and uh, he's very friendly and we settled down. And he said, well, we, you know, what about uh, we've been running and we've been sweating? And I said, well, it's not sweat. And he went, pardon? I said, it's definitely not sweat. I said, it's the back of the neck. He said, okay, right. Uh-huh. So he had cut the T-shirts up and he'd half them. So instead of having 12, I had 24 bags. So we started and I got to the point where I wasn't doing it as clear as I had hoped. Um, and that was about, I'd done five and I had become overpowered by it. So I had a break, went back again. They all went back together again. And then I laughed at the end. I, they were going to clear me. I said, no, oh, no. And I literally did say this for fun. Let me put them back together again. And I did it. I put the people back together again, which showed that each individual person with Parkinson's has a separate odor which coincided with the levels that I was talking about. And that's how I had marked up on the chart.
1: My favorite part of this part of the story is that there was one that they said you'd gotten
2: wrong, right? Yes. I got the uh, details out of um, Tilo that his wife had Parkinson's, but he didn't. And I said, well, he must sleep very closely to her because... I said, well, let's see. And that was the way I left it. Let's see. I was sure. So I just waited. But yeah, nine months later, he appeared. And the pre-diagnosis, as I'd done with Les, was verified. It
1: turns out you can smell not only Parkinson's, but... Tuberculosis, Alzheimer's, cancer, diabetes. Um, yeah. What, what does each one smell like? Are, are they similar in any way? Or? Well,
2: I now say, I used to give it a sort of a musky smell or a salty smell, or something, but I now say it is the smell of the combination of those molecules. And each disease has a different combination. The separate cancers even have a different combination. The body has its own agenda. There are scientists who have studied the fact that the body has its own agenda, and there is no doubt about it that the body uses the sebum glands in disease to excrete The dysregulated lipids or the toxic lipids or the salt, whatever it has to get rid of. We've proven that.
1: Which one smells the best?
2: (laughs) Which one smells the best? Which one smells the most pleasant, I suppose? I don't know. Least pleasant. Well, you would have to say they all smell least pleasant when they're at level one. Level one is the person and I have to hunt for the molecules. Level two is less of the person, but I can still smell the person, but there is definitely it's far easier to identify the disease. Level three I have to hunt for the person. I'm on the opposite end now. It's easy to identify level three. Level four is disgusting. Level four is harsh. I can't find the person. Now, the thing
1: that makes my heart race about you is if you and I were together in this studio right now and I had a disease or condition that you could detect you know a lot would be there's a lot going on there so so walk me through morally what it's like for you when you are able you're you're around a stranger and you you can smell that they definitely have one of these conditions that you can detect
2: what do you do if someone went to a general practitioner and said This woman who can smell diseases says, I possibly have. What would the doctor do? We had proven nothing when we started. Now we have proved it. So in the future, perhaps people will be able to see. But at the moment, morally we can't.
1: Is that hard for you? Because, I mean, if you know, if you know...
2: And you, you're, you're... I find it very hard. I will give you an example. Two weeks ago, I'm standing in Marks and Spencer's, and I'm doing my shopping, and my nose went up, and I thought, oh, right, okay. And um, I thought, just stand still, smell again. Right, okay, cancer, chemo, turned round, and there's a woman standing there with very little hair. Her husband's with her, she's trying her best. She's obviously in the middle of, I was hoping, in the middle of chemo because I could still smell the cancer. If they've completed her chemo, they've not given her a big enough dose. So there are parts of this that will become very, very, very useful in the future, but the research has to be done.
1: So when you think about that future, you know, let's say it's gotten to the point where you can, you can, you can go out and you could, you know, if you, you saw somebody, if you met somebody and you smelled that they had some condition, like where you could just say, you have level two uh, diabetes, you have level four Parkinson's, like, what, is that a life that would be fulfilling to you? Or would it be maybe a little bit more complicated than that? It
2: would definitely be more complicated because, I mean, if you look at, back at Galileo and the ancients, they discuss the smell of disease at length. This isn't new. You know, in some of my lectures, I say, well, it's very nice to be here today because um, you're very lucky. My part of the family wasn't burnt at the stake. <laughs> It has all sorts of history, medical olfaction. But in Galileo's time, it was good. But for some reason or other, it became bad. It became ignored. If you could turn this off for a day, would you? No. No, what less than I? Losing my best friend like that? No. If people can be diagnosed earlier, it changes the whole family's life. Now, cancer does the same. You're watching somebody that you love dying in that case. Slowly for Parkinson's, you're watching somebody change. And they don't have such longevity. But they live longer than possibly people with cancer. But no, no, if this can be put into science and medicine, no, I would not change what I've done.
1: Well, Joy Milne, thank you so much for talking with me. A pleasure. Just hours before Joy's husband, Les, died, she promised him that she would pursue this ability she has and the scientific connections she's made. So she joined a research team at the University of Manchester where, thanks to her ability, researchers have found 10 compounds linked to Parkinson's. They're hoping to find a way to diagnose the disease from skin-based biomarkers. And hopefully, sooner rather than later, develop the first definitive test for Parkinson's disease. Audacious is produced by me, Jessica Severin DiMartinez, Martinez, and Katie Talarsky, with help from our interns Abby Levine and Dylan Reyes at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Subscribe to Audacious, and you'll always get to hear the show a day early. And thank you for leaving that review on Apple Podcasts. That's how the unfeeling podcast machine knows to favor our show and spare it from being unlistened to. And. Abandoned. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf. and my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. Thank you for listening.